Hello, and welcome to another episode of Flaming Pinto's production of Play Me Tape, a show where we delve, song by song, into the music that means something. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Darren. Hello. <laughs> and my name is Jake. Darren, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh-huh. As usual. Doing well. Yeah. I always enjoy doing the podcast. And... Um, this week I'm I'm pretty excited about the song and the band, and right. uh, I wanted to kind of jump into something fairly quickly here. Um, Do it. I'm curious, and I mean we're pretty old for this, but I'm curious if you could give yourself like a, a DJ or a rapper nickname. Oh Jesus! What do you think it would be? <sighs> Uh, just off the top of your head, just something. Because I mean, you could easily do like a DJ Jake or something like that, but which I would not. No, uh, and that's the thing, right? It's it's a it's a difficult sort of thing, and and don't forget, this is something that's going to stay with you for the rest of time. This is your legacy. This is what you you will create content under, and that type of that name is going to be linked to your content forever. Yeah. No pressure there yeah. at all. And this is kind of what I'm getting at. Uh-huh. It's, it's really funny to me. Um, and I'll let you keep thinking about, you know, what your what nickname I, what might be. Yeah. Now, all right. So this is, this was your prepared question. So do you have an answer to this question? What I would call myself? Yeah. Oh, that's easy. DJ double D. <laughs> that's terrible just terrible oh it's come on it's <laughs> tremendous um put a lot of thought into that nice uh i mean obviously the point isn't what would you actually choose the point is that you were going somewhere with it clearly and this relates back to the band in some way it does small way. but it also i mean with this this episode's choice I took a pretty deep dive into, you know, 80s, even 70s, uh, the beginnings of hip hop culture. Yeah. And and even so far as DJs and, and even production teams and things like that. And the names that I saw were pretty amazing. Well, it's it, there's no shortage, even with even outside of that genre, there's no shortage of artists who picked a name or were stuck with a name or saddled with something or it was something that they thought was funny in the moment there's that very famous exchange in the uh, the one simpsons episodes where they form a band called the b sharps yes. and they talk about how we should choose a name that's funny when you first hear it and then increasingly less funny <laughs> with every time it's spoken right. um and you get some really great examples of bands that just like the Goo Goo Dolls specifically, um, I've heard them talk again and again <laughs> about how much they just hated their own name. Yeah. And if there was anything they could do to change that, it, it came up as a joke or a last minute thing because the name that they had selected, they couldn't use for whatever reason. And so in the moment, one of them just blurted it out. And in the the intervening weeks, no one could come up with anything better. And it just 
stuck and it was just an albatross around their neck they just hated it it's not a good name it is not a no good name. no and I, and they're also saddled with another major major problem i believe they're from buffalo right yeah they're so oh is that the major problem so i feel bad for them <laughs> it's, Come on. it's the goo goo dolls at art park excellent how dare how dare you yeah, wait. sorry to any anybody a love buffalo but go bills oh <laughs> anyway go, go. go sabers i i will say i've done a couple of uh toronto maple leafs versus buffalo sabers hockey games over the last few years and uh-huh. i love going to buffalo to watch hockey uh, oh really why they're extremely passionate fans they yep. they love their team. They get super loud. They also get yep. super angry that ten thousand of the eighteen thousand people in their stadium or their arena are Leafs fans. fans, and you hear them <laughs> grumbling the whole time. Yeah. And even the the last game that I went to see there last year, uh, there was almost a fist fight in front of us. Oh. And we're not up in the in the cheap seats like in the nosebleeds. Yeah, we, you're... we were in row seven, and a guy wow. from row six was arguing with a guy in row two. And Whoa. and they were very close to uh, to punching each other out. So I did a did a fight break out at one of the Bills games we went to. I think multiple. I feel like one, I think multiple I, fights. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like people got dragged out of at least one of those games. Yeah, I think we went to, we went to two. Oh, right? We went to two different Bills games. Yes, there were a ton of and fun. I, think, I mean, Ralph Wilson Stadium was amazing. I'm not a yeah. football guy. Uh, you are, but I couldn't have had more fun. It was yeah, amazing. It was a super fun time. The thing, yeah. the thing that I found really funny about that was, I was, I think in the first game we went to see, you know, I I didn't really know a lot about football. I didn't care much about the other team. So when it turned out that the guy, the guys next to me, were like major Bills fans, I'm like, well, I better be cheering for them. Yeah, or I'm going to get into a fight. Better not step out of anything here. But it turned out yeah. to be a lot of fun. So. Yeah. And from what, from my understanding, they're not a particularly harsh football crowd. I don't think they're named as one of the top three or the top five or anything like that in terms of, <laughs> you know, don't show up at the stadium wearing the opposing well, team's gear. I, th- I don't think they're that bad. I think they're, speaking. they're pacified by their bathrooms. <laughs> I think they have to keep cool. Yeah. Um, it's the worst bathroom experience of my life. <laughs> Anyway, I don't remember. I'm not going to get into that. Well, you, you, you literally, you're peeing. Is that the truck? Yeah, that's the truck. You're peeing against the stainless steel wall. Yeah. And, you know, 50, 60, maybe even 70% of the people are hammered. Yeah. So they're putting their hand on the wall. (laughs) So to think about, I do not, you don't remember that? I do not remember this. Terrified. Did you even go in the bathroom? I was terrified. Yeah. And then it's not like we weren't. There was a big drinking beer. Yeah, there so, was a yeah. lineup at the trough, so I thought, ah, I'll just use the stall. Oh, bad idea. <laughs> Multiple deposits without <laughs> any oh withdrawals. My God. <laughs> <laughs> was, if anyone is still listening, it was rotten. Maybe we should move on. Let's move on to non-bathroom content. Yeah, we really got off on a tangent there. Um, coming back to to names, band names, and and rapper, most wow. most notably rapper names. Sure. And nicknames. Did you even have a, a nickname at any time? Because I don't remember. I mean, obviously, your 
your name on your birth certificate is Jason, and for whatever reason, not actually Jake. We call yeah. you Jake. But did you ever have any, a, a nickname that you could no. that you could maybe turn into a rapper name? No, nothing. Right? Like I, I could nothing. also be MC Fathead. Right. Um, Meathead, I would think. Or Meathead. Right. Or Moose. Or right. you know anything else that kind of lends itself to size or whatever. Um, but yeah, you still haven't, you haven't been able to come up with a, a name. I know. No, I, I got nothing. A tough one. No, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to really noodle with it. I think we'll call you DJ Jazzy Jake. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny to me as I went back and looked at, um, you know, reading through the origins of hip hop and rap and, seeing the names come up just kind of made me laugh but it also it also jogged a lot of memories for me for whatever reason kind of early to mid 80s even into the late 80s i was listening to a lot of early rap music yeah and it was early rap music i mean this was ground floor stuff Mm -hmm. and the local radio station, which was called CKLN FM 88.1, which was a station that was born out of the University of Ryerson, their radio station. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, every Saturday and Sunday afternoon, they would play a three-hour program of, like, New York-based rap and and hip-hop music. And a friend of mine and I would sit there with our with our tape players set up you know ready to record and we would literally record the stuff if we knew of a song or we liked the sound of something we would record it wow and i would love to get a hold of some of those tapes and then i would take those tapes to school and it was really funny because you know my basis for music was classic rock or rock at the time you know the rush the van halen the led zeppelin that kind of stuff but on the other side of it, here I am listening to all this ground floor rap music. And by no means am I saying that, you know, oh, I was an early adopter or whatever. It wasn't the case. It was just, here was a new genre of music that was being introduced to me that I loved. I, I thought it was a lot of, like, super creative and really, really interesting. And the backstories of it coming out of the New York City ghettos and stuff, uh, it it brought back a ton of memories and in doing that i started kind of going down the rabbit hole of of reading you know lists of top 10 um rap and hip-hop artists even go to go so far as back and find out the origin of the name hip-hop right and and that's a tough one there's there's actually a bunch of different things uh if you remember the song the sugar hill gang song rapper's delight yep there's a line in it where they talk about you know hip-hop to the hip to the hop to the hippity hop right um, so yeah that can kind of be linked to it as well but it's super super fun to go back because it's all stuff that kind of happened in our lifetime and it's absolutely and it's all stuff that happened kind of in our childhood into our teens so it was a really sort of formative those are the formative years in terms of the music that we got into and uh easy layup trivia what's the first charting single with uh with a rap in it there was the blondie song yeah, it's the Blondie song, Rapture. Yeah, Rapture. Um, and it's funny because my my son is big into like current rap music and, and things like that. 
And I sort of would give him a hard time about it sometimes, unfairly. I mean, when it got into the really inappropriate stuff in terms of if you're sitting around with family and he's putting on this music and there's lots of curse words and racial words and things like that, it can be inappropriate. But he's brought to me a fair bit of stuff that I like. And, and I wondered sort of where his desire to listen to that music came from. And I look back too, and I had kind of forgotten about that era for me of, of hunting down that kind of music and enjoying In your own it. development. Yeah. yeah. And I, I had always sort of misnamed it. I, you know, people would ask me, what kind of music are you into? And I called it funk yeah. for whatever reason. Well, that, I mean, and I know that was the basis for it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't funk. It was rap and, and hip hop. And even getting into stuff like R&B and things like that. So it was really, really fun to kind of go through this and go back and, and the, the photographs. Oh, man, the photographs. Go look back at a picture of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Oh, I know. It does not get much better than that. And guys like, oh, I know. like Curtis Blow and Eric B. and Rakim. And one of the biggest bands for me from the 80s was Run DMC. Um, yeah. You know, and tracksuits and, and Adidas shoes. I love that style. Uh, couldn't afford any of it at the time, but but yeah, it was it was so interesting to me to go back and look at all that stuff. And and that's where the artist that I've chosen for today comes from. And it's amazing to me when I went back and looked at the history of these guys that. <sighs> The environment that they were in and the environment that they were able to be successful to in is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And the, and the street cred that these guys had uh, was pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the Beastie Boys mm -hmm. and going back into their history and realizing that they, they literally were born out of like hardcore punk. Yeah, that's right. In, in the late seventies. And they decided to change direction at, at one point and get into doing rap and hip hop. And they kind of became popular in their area. And even so much as like reading quotes from guys like LL Cool J and, and Chuck D of Public Enemy, like they always had the fattest beats. I'm angry with them because they're so innovative and, and so good at what they do. They're, you know, it's almost not fair that they're getting the success that they're getting. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And the song and the, the album that I chose today was, uh, is a song with a horrible name. Uh, it's called Shake Your Rump. <laughs> what, what, what is wrong with that name? Well, I don't understand. When you're talking about music that matters and you, you have songs <laughs> like, you know, 39 by Queen and, and Tusk by Fleetwood Mac, and then you add in Shake Your Rump by the Beastie Boys. I don't Boys. know, dude. I mean, as far as we, we talked about it, and as far as we know, Tusk could very well be a dick joke. It could so be. I True. It's probably in it's probably in good company. But the legitimacy of the name. But again, you know, we talked a little bit about that and and go and look at go and look at Thriller, 
with the exception of, you know, one of the greatest selling albums of all time, one of the most beloved albums of all time, and with the exception of Billie Jean, like every song on that album is, hey, let's dance. That's every song on that album. Hey, let's dance. Yeah, and that's okay. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I don't know, just using the term rump in a song title. <laughs> you just have a problem with that specific word. Yeah, I maybe think. I have a bit of it, you know. I Although if it had been Shake Your Ass, that would have been worse, I think. Well, it wouldn't have been as fun. No, very true. And and the, the funny part is, I mean, that that term is not even sung by the band in the song. No, that's one of the samples. That's a sample, right? And it's not even rump. It's rumpa. <laughs> wow. Which is... Which is even better. So, yeah. And it, where does the sample come from? Uh, I have that. It's it's pretty amazing. That one I don't. That one's not a Sugar Hill Gang. I don't think. No. Um, the um, it's actually from an album that featured James Brown and Africa uh-huh. Bombada. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The album was called Unity. Yeah. And if you listen to the original song, it's pretty good. Yeah, and this was the other part of this, and I, I want to. There's a really good reason that they that they pieced stuff together yeah. because, you know, the, the stuff they were piecing together came from sources that they loved. Yeah. Oh, well, there's some pretty amazing stuff surrounding this song and this whole album that I want to get into after we listen to it because I think we should we should go in and listen to the song. So yeah, we can definitely take some time and do that now. Uh, yeah. uh, hey, Jake. Yes, Darren. Play me tape. You got it.
show named Michael Diamond. No, mine's Clarence. From downtown Manhattan. The village. My style's wild and you know that it's still it. This no bag tripping and you're doing the buzz. Shake your rope. So that was Beastie Boys' Shake Your Rump from Paul's Boutique. Uh, I had not heard that in a while, and I was glad I, I listened to it again. Um, it's a lot of fun, and we have um, a relationship with that song or with that album or with the Beastie Boys' entire early library because it was something that we listened to so heavily in your car. And that thing, as we've as we've talked about in the past was, you know, just this piece of <laughs> easy, <laughs> this wonderful retro wagon. Uh, but you know, the value of the car weighed against the value of the stereo that was in the car. Do you remember that disparity? Sure do. Yeah. yeah that stereo so a couple bucks more than that car was. Yeah. It was a very expensive stereo in a, in a, a station wagon that was uh, not, valued greatly uh so much so that the latch on the rear hatchback <laughs> was, right. was gone That's right. so the thing didn't the thing didn't even lock and the you had a you had a canadian flag draped off draped over the the base box in the back and it was always safe because it was just hiding in plain sight this insane stereo was in such an unassuming beater of a car that nobody looked twice at it. Nobody assumed. And that was, we were not living in a nice neighborhood. Um, yeah. And nobody ever messed with it. Nobody ever looked at it. I, I mean, the value of that stereo was absurd. Um, and it just, it just survived. It just didn't get a second glance and, because of how, how you dressed it up, and which was if you, why putting it in that car. If you can believe it, that exact same base box, which was quite large, yeah, I, ha- I had in a '93 Honda Civic Coupe in the trunk. Jesus. So, so the entire trunk it took up. That thing was like a bar fridge, more. Or but less. it got stolen. Some really somebody broke in from the, the Civic. Honda and it got stolen. Yeah, my wife was oh, wow. my wife was with the kids at skating lessons one night, and I, I guess Le Renault just does not no. scream boom. I like fat beats. Yeah, thousand watt, ten inch subs. Yeah, nobody cared. Well. Shake Your Rump was one of those songs that was especially amazing in that car because of that. Uh, they they come back to it a couple of times throughout the song, but I, I don't even know what to call that sound. But there's that insanely bassy segment. Yes, and it's just it's that tone that they play. I don't know what generates it. I don't know how they've accomplished it. I don't think it's a sample from it somewhere. Is. But it's just that wow. It's a sample, and it's so low. And you when when you had just installed it, you put that CD in and you sat me down and, and you were like, dude, there are some stereos that you don't even hear this part of the song. <laughs> and 
everything on that car rattled and shook when when that bass played because again as you said it was a thousand watts in the in the hatch of just pure face melting bass and the whole car just shook and shimmied and i'm sure we damaged our hearing and it was just amazing but that whatever that segment was it was just you know it was a a four second shot of bass and it was this extended long it was amazing and so i i can't I didn't start listening to the lyrics of Beastie Boys songs until later because we're idiots and we talk over everything <laughs> because we, that's what we do. We just talk. Yep. Uh, and we talk over, the, you know, we used to listen to um, albums like this one on, on a loop, but you know, because we were talking so much, it wasn't until years later that I really sat down and got Beastie. I didn't need to buy a Beastie Boys album in those days because you had all of them, and Paul, who lived with us as well, had all of them, and it just wasn't something I needed to own because I could get my hands on it at any time I needed to because I had two roommates that were big fans. Um, big fans, big fans. Yeah. Having said that, I the one thing that surprises me about this choice, um, I, yes, I know that the Beastie Boys are important historically to us um in our past but i'm surprised because of their outspoken you you pick beastie boys because of their outspoken hatred of rush meh i can live with that <laughs> listen we, we talked about it in the first episode dude his voice is polarizing i, yeah. I understand that not everybody's gonna love that band um yeah. Have, do you remember us talking about that and why they, they're dislike for Rush? I don't. I, I'm don't? sure okay. I put it out of my mind. Yeah. They they had uh, their own music label called Grand Royal Records yep. uh, that they launched. They also launched their own magazine, Grand Royal yep. Magazine. Do you remember yep, that? I do. So there was an issue in the late 90s. There was an issue. Uh, and again, I mean, it was just it's them and their stuff and their their own interests. It was It's the magazine that they would put together. And so it really followed what they were into and what they were, uh, what they wanted to talk about. I don't know how hands-on they were. I assume they were at least a little bit. Uh, and the the issue that I was looking at was there was an article on how to make the perfect mixtape. And what, right, I remember which, this. Yeah, whichever one it was, you know, they talked about their different techniques and they talked about, oh, I really like to match up beats per minute or do this or do that i really like to go from this to that but i don't like to go from that to this blah 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 and so they had all these these really interesting rules and and notions for how to make the 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 tape that flows the best or whatever and the one of them just said and you know the final rule is no rush yeah, yeah. you can never have any right. rush on a nice tape. terrible Ooh, that's ouch. I, and i remember thinking you know and again before i really had developed any sort of an interest in rush i, I just remember thinking the hell is their problem with rush yeah what the hell These is uh, rush. i mean I get it, whatever. Maybe it was Not for com- everyone likes everything. Maybe it was for, for comedic effect. You it's funny you mentioned that magazine. Um and I I read a small little article on that that uh Grand Royal magazine is actually uh <laughs> the first time that the word mullet was put in print. Right. I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. which I thought was a really cool little thing. Because you know, in relation to in relation to the hairdo, yes, in relation to the hairdo. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I I think that's a cool little thing. Well, the Beast Boys had a song with the name Mullet in it, and yeah. uh, 
So yeah, having a mullet, I thought that was kind of cool. It's amazing to me that we all had mullets in the eighties, but nobody ever actually called it a mullet. It wasn't, it wasn't until the nineties that that term was coined. So, well, I first heard it being referred to as hockey hair. Yeah, still is. I still have hockey hair. I still got the flow. Nice. Beauty. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. They were pretty ambitious in in those days. I mean, they were pretty ambitious in their their whole career as musicians. Um, the reason why I went to Paul's boutique, I mean, starting at License to Ill, License to Ill came out in late '86. So in that time period, I, I was like grade, I think I was grade seven or grade eight. And I remember the following year, it probably was 87, somebody had brought a copy of that tape. Uh, we went on a school fishing trip. And it was really the first time I'd listened to the whole album. And it, it blew me away. I loved it. Um, and I didn't love it for the traditional song that sort of everybody loved on, off that album, which was Fight for Your Right to Party. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's because I always sort of stayed away from that kind of, you know, what, what you would maybe classify as, as frat boy rock or, or that frat music, sort of the fun, jokey, silly kind of stuff, uh, offensive, whatever. I've, I love the song No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Uh, the yeah. fact that they mixed, you know, the rock and roll in with the, the rap and hip hop at the time for me could not have been a better thing to do and, and more enjoyable for me because those are the two types of music I was listening to the most at the time. And it's amazing. These were pretty young guys. And I always liked uh, Paul Revere because they wove the story that was almost like a, yeah, like a Western movie. Yes. You know, uh, they, they, it's literally a song that tells a story and whether it's supposed to take place in the West or whether that's just a metaphor, but it, it tells this whole story about the guy and his horse and he's, you know, just a lone gunman yeah. or what, you know, it just, it's this really interesting. I always thought that that was fascinating it's a great um, song. and such a, an off the wall choice in an otherwise traditional New York city, not traditional, but, but, uh, you know, everything else was rooted in New York city and rooted in whatever was around them. And, and then there was this one, it's about cowboys. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it just really stood out and I really liked it. Well, and that was, to me, that was their genius is they could pretty much take anything and, and turn it into something that sounded great. Did that, that album, License Hill, had seven singles on it. Yeah. That's incredible. Huge album. Any idea how many copies it sold? I don't, but it was no slouch. And, yeah, and as their kind of debut studio album, um, it was pretty amazing. And it came out on a pretty small label at the time. It was the Rick Rubin, Russell Simmons, uh, Def Jam. Yeah, Def Jam. And it's yeah. funny that they that was it with them. Uh, when they went to Paul's Boutique, they actually went to Capitol Records. And that's that's even crazier. The The funny part of it is they had decided to totally change direction in terms of what they were going to make. And they, and it became very experimental and we talked about samples sure. already. Um, but it took somebody yeah, but... to believe in them to say, okay, go make this album. Yeah. 
but they've done a lot of talking about um, looking back at license, looking back yeah. to the, the image that they projected in that era. And, um, you know, that it was a, it was a spoof more or less. And they really steered into the skid. And I, I'll be honest, I don't even know if I believe that. I'm not sure when you, when you, see the the stage stuff that they had going on with the inflatable penis uh when when you see some of the live performances uh when they appeared on top of the pops or whatever uh and they're hammered drunk uh when you see do you remember the joan rivers show yes when she uh before arsenio came along um they put her on joan rivers was competing was was a fill-in host for johnny carson and and rather than you know, Johnny didn't hadn't retired yet, and he anyway. It's not even important. Joan Rivers was on a, on the competing network, and it caused a rift between her and 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 Carson. And she had been a fill-in host on the Tonight Show, uh, and so she, they'd given her her own talk show. And apparently, Johnny bitterly never spoke to her again. But anyway, she it was this semi-popular talk show, late night, opposing the Tonight Show. Uh, it was kind of a big deal in the pre-Arsenio era. And they were guests one night, and they came on, and it's three dudes that are hammered drunk, and she's deeply uncomfortable <laughs> and not enjoying herself. And they're having a ball, but they are a mess. So, you know, on the one hand, you think, well, was it really a parody? Was it really a spoof? On the other hand, I don't care, uh, because these are guys that clearly had the capacity to change these these are guys that that were bigger than whatever albums theme or whatever they had going on at the time uh i don't need to hold them to the image from one album i know these are people that are are going to change and reinvent themselves over the course of their career they had uh they've done that numerous times on numerous albums um so at the end of the day I, i mean if you listen to a song like girls uh, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't hold up. No, well. and you're I right. get it. But but at the same time, um, I, I I never want to hold people to a standard that they created for themselves at age twenty. Exactly. Or whatever. I these are these aren't people that stopped growing and were static and were the same thing forever. And I'm sure you're going to get into it, but. Um, but MCA and his activism, like that became such a huge part of his identity and who he was. And, you know, he was revered by the other two just for being, um, so smart and so on the ball and so compassionate, um, with just about everything that came along in terms of, uh, especially not just Tibet, but, you know, any, any causes that he felt passionate about, he would, he would learn everything that there was to learn about them. And he would, he would sort of, um, embrace those causes and, and make positive change. Um, yeah. Oh, it's amazing to me that the, it's the same guy. Yeah. That licensed to ill <laughs> that those guys went on to, to reinvent themselves. Um, and I think that first album and I think their image coming up was, you know, for shock, it was for attention it, and it worked. It got yeah. them the, the attention they needed. And, and, sure and again, did. like you said, they were, they were young. And we were, we were in grade seven or grade eight when they hit. And kids loved them. Teachers hated yeah. them. It was the dynamic that you absolutely want if what you're going for 
is to be shocking. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And to, to gear yourself entirely towards youth culture. They did it. They got it. They won. Uh, every teacher we had hated them. And I remember one day going into school and there was a rumor that had been floating around. Uh, do you remember this at all? Uh, I'm sure it's urban legend. I'm sure it's completely um, fabricated. But the rumor going around in the in the schoolyard uh, was that backstage at a concert, uh, there were some there were some sick kids who had, you know, a Make a Wish Foundation situation, and they were they were kids with leukemia, so no hair. And the drunken Beastie Boys had made fun of them for being bald. Oh, yeah. yeah, and this was the rumor. And and the, the some kids had told this in class, uh, and the teacher had asked about it. And you just got that smug reaction from the teacher, just that, see, I knew it. I knew they were bad people. I knew. I just knew yeah. it deep down. I knew it. You know, and again, I, someone came in with this rumor. I've never looked it up so take it with a complete yeah, result. Yeah. i don't actually know but it was just it was you got that polarized reaction of the kids kind of the kids in that class being kind of saddened to hear this about these guys that they like so much and then the teachers just smirked nice <laughs> you know, well it, i always knew they were drunk. yeah and that's the thing it's like ozzy biting the head off of the the bird or whatever it's just that it's that oh my yeah. they've they've gone over the edge now. We love them yeah, for their gone too far. their rebellious nature and stuff, but yeah, they've gone just way too far. Um, yeah. The funny thing is, you know, they obviously were trying something. They were they were trying to garner as much attention as they could, and it worked. But that afforded them, you know, the ability to kind of go and do then what they wanted to actually do. You know, they, they came out with all this crazy party rock stuff and it, they made a ton of money off that album. For so sure. for the next album, they had some freedom. Granted, they left Def Jam. They went to Capitol. You know, obviously they had a, a lot more uh, restraints placed on them where they tried to anyway. But it's funny with this, with, with the Paul's Boutique album, album um, it just so happened that the Dust Brothers were actually trying to come up with an album um and you know who the dust brothers are i assume yep. um yep. one of the funniest things that i sort of read about the dust brothers and we had mentioned the song before is they actually were involved in the production of mbop by hansen <laughs> yeah so um it's funny to even think about that connection but uh, they were making an album. They were experimenting. With well, samples. just just take take a step back, just in case anybody who's listening doesn't know. Give a little background on the Dust Brothers, if you. Uh, two American guys. Um, I. They had gotten into doing all these kind of samples and stuff. Um, again, I can <laughs> I can kind of come back to the nickname thing. Uh, right. Right. Uh, <laughs> Easy Mike was yep. the one, Mike Simpson, and the other guy's name was uh, John King, uh, King, yep. King Gizmo. It's yeah. funny because you got to know that these names were, you know, hey, I'm going to call myself <laughs> Easy Mike. Uh, I love that kind of I stuff. really like Gremlins. That Gizmo character sure is funny. But <laughs> they were two guys that kind of got together. They met in, in school and they started making music producing. yeah they started but they were 
they were sampling stuff. They were linking yeah. these things. They had these loops and they were experimenting with all this kind of stuff. Um, and clearly having a lot of fun with it, but also not really knowing where to go with it either. And it wasn't until they sort of met up with the Beastie Boys. They had about 50% of an album completed when the Beastie Boys showed up and said, we absolutely love this. In fact, Shake Your Rump was a completed song by them, by the Dust Brothers. And they said, hey, we'd love to rap to this. Yeah. And the Dust Brothers said, whoa, like there's a lot of stuff going on here. Maybe we need to strip it down a little bit. And Beastie Boys said, nope leave it as is we're just gonna yeah. throw some stuff in and uh to me it, it it works perfectly and you would think that it was done all together organically uh right from the start so yeah it's uh it's pretty amazing to me the stuff that they were able to do and it was it was actually really fun to go back and there's actually a really awesome um, website, and it's called Who Sampled. Have you ever been on this? No. So it's a site where you can go in and find songs and artists and albums and figure out. And find where those samples yeah. ended up and who used yeah. them and where they used them. It is. That's it interesting. Is it's the IMDb for samples. Brilliant. And so I sat there and I did the... Uh, Shake your rump on who sampled. Yeah. Now there is some conflicting stuff online about the number of songs that they sampled. It kind of varies in between 11 and 14 different songs. But the cool part of it is it'll show shake your rump on one side. And then on the other side, you get to choose which sample you want to hear in the original form. And then, and oh, then wow. go back and actually click on where it is in the song and listen to it at that point. And so that's why you, you talked about that crazy sort of circular bass sound. Yes. Um, it, it comes from an album by a, a guy or a band, I don't even know, by the name of Rose Royce. Yeah, yeah, okay. And the song is called I looked, Six O'Clock DJ. Yeah, okay. I looked through the, uh, when you mentioned the song, I did look through to see where, um, the Wikipedia pages for the individual songs on this album. Uh, list sources. Yes. Uh, and I was surprised because this song alone, uh, I can't remember what they had listed for sampled songs. It, you're right. It was right in that range of 11 and 14. Yeah. I don't remember specifically. But I, what I do remember is looking through and recognizing maybe half of, this, of the sampled artists uh, that made up That's pretty good. the samples on that track. It, it, there was a lot of stuff <laughs> It's, I just, what is that now? And that, this was certainly a name that stuck out as, as an artist I did not recognize. Yeah, I mean, the only one that I knew was Sugar Hill Gang. Obviously, obviously yeah. Africa, Bombada, and James Brown I knew. Um, yeah. But, yeah, for the most part, I didn't know any of this stuff. Amazing. And the Sugar Hill Gang, the Sugar Hill Gang is super, super interesting and super important, I think. To the, I, I don't know if you had planned to talk a lot about Sugar Hill Gang. No, not really. I mean, they, I agree. They are extremely important. Uh, they almost belong in their own episode. Uh, yeah. Their influence and their, in the beginnings oh, of they easily, rap. Yeah. They easily belong in their own episode. I just, I, I'm, I, I'm not, 
knowledgeable enough to speak about them. Um, but they're so interesting. And I, from, from Paul's boutique onward, you really see a lot of influence of Sugar Hill Gang on the Beastie yeah. Boys. It seems to me, I could be mistaken. I could be way off base. Um, you know, Sugar Hill Gang was a three-piece. Beastie Boys is a three-piece. Uh, that's entirely coincidental. I just like to point it out. Yeah. <laughs> but especially when you get later on, um, when you really look at, because I did a lot of listening to Sugar Hill Gang um, in the last couple of days, just knowing that you were coming up to this and the format and the structure. First of all, Rapper's Delight is just like the I Ching of 80s and 90s rap. Like it's it's the foundation yeah. of, of what everything yeah. else that came after really is. Uh, is is founded on. And you can talk about um you can talk about Grandmaster Flash, uh, and no disrespect, but um you I didn't I wasn't ever aware of as much being taken from, sampled, modeled on uh, from Grandmaster Flash as I was from Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, and that song, and what's the Eighth Wonder, I yes. think, is the song that they specifically sampled yep. on that. And more than anything else, listen to some Sugar Hill Gang, and it's that format that we've talked about that the Beasties use so often, where you get to the end of the song and you think to yourself, hey, what the hell was that song even about? <laughs> and you realize that the entire song was them passing the mic, introducing themselves repeatedly, <laughs> and telling you how good they yes. are at rocking <laughs> a house party or a block party or you know a club party, and then that like and that's the song, and they use simile to tell you that they're you know they're just like X is good at Y you yep. know over and over again, and that's the same format. That so, with the exception of Apache, which is just unfortunate when you listen to that <laughs> song now, the the uh, the Sugar Hill Gang cover of Apache that that was originally a friend of mine pointed out that that's originally uh, um, the Incredible Bongo Band song. Have you ever listened to the Incredible Bongo Band version of Apache? I don't think I have. It's is great, it? and it's entirely instrumental. There's no um, there's no song. There's no lyricism uh, on the original yeah. version, and then you get the Sugar Hill Gang and the beat and the instrumentation is so good um, on both versions. And then you get the lyrics on the Sugar Hill Gang's version that maybe don't age well as oh, well into 2020. You can, you can say um, that about a lot of early rap. Absolutely. Ooh, it, but it hasn't aged well, but it's such a, like the, the hook, the hook in that song is so good. It's being used on a commercial that is airing really? now. In 2020, yes, there's a commercial. I, I can't even tell you what it's for. I don't remember a cell phone provider. I can't remember, but it's on the air right now. I'm like that Sugar Hill Gang Apache. It's it's being. I, I hear it Amazing. daily on television. Um, so the, the, their influence is vast, yeah, huge, yeah. vast. Um, but when you look at the format of the way their songs are structured, and then you look at a a, a song, a BC song like like this song or pass the mic or so many songs from the nineties. That's the format that they stuck to. So again, we can talk all day long about the innovation, but I can't believe how often they come back to 
well, I'm Mike D, and I'm here to tell you about <laughs> myself that I'm very awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's it's such a, a hilarious thing when you notice it, and it doesn't. I mean, it's not necessarily a dig. It's just it's an unbelievable um, formatting that you you spot again and again and again it's and again. Verse, course, verse. And it's... It, yeah, it takes the place of um, sort of the comfortable. They're really good with simile. They're really yeah. good with dropping these really interesting references. Um, and I'm, you know, you probably have these songs a lot more memorized than I do. Uh, but they'll just throw in these non sequiturs for no reason other than the flow. Yes. So you know, you're talking about this, and then you know, the bad breath on yes. rings come in, or whatever <laughs> the line is. And it's got nothing to do with anything, but God damn it, does it flow yeah. properly? Does it does it work with um, the flow of where they're headed? And and it just, you know, it, they use subliteration and they use whatever. Like it just it all works together, and they find whatever non sequitur they toss in. It, it seems like they find something that, while it doesn't fit thematically, because they're talking about onion rings, it, do, it doesn't have anything to do with anything, yeah. but. It, it somehow just slots right in like a Lego piece and works. And it's yeah. amazing. And to me, that's the genius of the entire album is they're just yeah. able to do that. And, and I'll be, I mean, in my opinion and the music that I enjoy, this should not work for me. Right. Um, I, I, and I also want to add on to it though, that, and you know, this, Later on in the Beastie's career, after they had done License to Ill, Paul's Boutique, uh, Check Your Head, Ill Communication, I got away from them a little bit. And it's because of what you talk about. It's, yeah. I just got tired of the same stuff over and over again. And that same the, the format, formula. it was... And yeah. and I just went okay. I I've heard this before. They kind I don't know if they you know they just gotten older and they recognized a format that worked so they stuck to it. I found the innovation sort of went away for me. The creativity sort of dropped off a little bit, and that's completely normal. Yeah, it's going to happen. One of one of their one of their later hits, uh, Intergalactic. I mean, I remember seeing the video for that song and thinking, Oh, this is going to be about, you know, this is, it's in my wheelhouse. It's going to be about space and, <laughs> you know, it's going to be this fun concept album or this fun yeah. concept song. No, it's just, it's, it's yet another metaphor for we rock you right. so hard. Uh, we're going to put you in uh, orbit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it kind of got a little bit tiresome as I got older and don't get me wrong. It, you know, songs like, uh, like sabotage and stuff, uh, which which get away from that sort of format and away from their comfort zone are incredible. But that stuff kind of went away for me. They never really continued on with it, and right. that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, in this early stuff, I'm okay with that format, and I'm okay with them telling me not to front, and that that <laughs> you right. know, raps or or rhymes harder than everybody else. And I, okay, <laughs> I get it, uh, but it works and it works for me on this album and this song particularly because of, 
the variance in sounds and beats and grooves and and that heavy circular bass line and even just the line of shake your rumpa the way it sort of flows in and the drops and man this this to me is musical genius and i i think that album was not received well when it first came out and has now been acclaimed critically over and over yeah. and over it's on the rolling stone top uh, 500 list i think i remember revisions anyway well we've just learned we've we've just learned that they yeah. revised it multiple times so i'm not sure it's it probably is still on there uh it, it's funny you talk about uh the reaction of their contemporaries you talk about the reaction of chuck d who grudgingly give them uh almost grudgingly give them respect uh because of the innovation because yeah. of what they were doing um you look at them and had they not been who they were, had they not been as influential, you know, would they have been a, a one album wonder or, um, you know, would they just not have had much impact at all? Because look at the genre they decided to pursue yeah. and look at what's normally, um, you know, praised or given street cred. Uh, street cred usually comes from you know, not being skinny Jewish yeah. kids. But w- one of the other important aspects, dude, they will openly shout out on the, not on, I don't think it comes up on this track, but they will openly shout out that they are kids from the Upper West. These are not no. ghetto kids. The Upper West is not, I mean, th- that is just not anything other than a fairly well-to-do yeah. area so the fact that they're literally telling you you know we're relatively privileged <laughs> you know in a rap song where it i mean the roots of that new york like the history of of hip-hop uh almost seems to have its convergent point you know everything converges back to one point Do you know oh. what it is well, no, but one event specifically. Oh. And w- whether there's any real truth to this or not, but it's, it's one of those oft-repeated urban legends. What's the, what's the genesis point? What's the prime mover of hip-hop? I, I'm not sure. The New, the New York Blackout of 1977. Really? You know, the popular, the popular myth is um, you had this movement that was just starting, but it had a long way to go before there was any sort of acceptance, before there were a lot of people actually doing it. Because what did you need? You needed expensive equipment to do it. We're sitting here doing a podcast for almost no money. Stop it. High production value. We're in in Studio 17 today. You can go so far with so little. You can make amazing music on your phone now. Like, think about that. There are people making albums on their phone. There are people making movies on mm-hmm. their phone. Uh, it's a low point of entry. But then it was a big oh, yeah. deal. You needed, you needed the right equipment. You, you needed expensive techniques. You stuff. needed money. It was a big deal. So supposedly, as the as the popular myth goes, the blackout of '77 gave people access to this eh, because of thievery. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> store, stores got Ouch. looted. Uh, again, it's not, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of, out of nope. school here. Uh, it, it's, it's a fair, I'm sure you came across that, but it's just one of those things that's commonly joked about. Um, 
you know, that, that suddenly all these people who didn't previously have access to this equipment had access to this equipment and could start to noodle with it, could start to mess right. around with it. And what came out of it was this incredible, incredible stuff. Um, but it never would have happened if you suddenly didn't have all these people who got their hands on right. this equipment. Uh, and here you've got these guys that were the complete antithesis to that movement. You know, this broken um, boroughs of New York kids who was who were, were scraping together anything they could to make these sounds and that wasn't the beasties yeah. and they still were able not just to not just to succeed and make really innovative and interesting music but to get listened to by people who didn't immediately discount them for for who they were or where they came from yeah it would have been easy to do um after the first album it, yeah like yeah I, but again, we're getting past the shock value, but getting past the um, the image of that album, uh, there's still great stuff on oh, that album. I, I looked it up while you were talking, by the way. 10 million copies wow. sold of uh, License to So that was a monster yeah. album. Incredible. Uh, the one thing, the one knock against them for that album was, well, they're not playing their own instruments. And they took a yeah. lot of heat for that. And then what did they do? They learned how to play the, their and own instruments. what did they do? Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, they took two years off, yeah. more or less. Um, the the amazing thing about Paul's boutique and and this song and any of the songs, when you listen to, like you're talking about making music on your phone, when you listen to how well the music is put together, mm -hmm. um, how nicely it flows together. When you're talking about you know potentially fourteen different music samples being linked together to sound completely seamless uh, to do that back in the day when they did it had to be incredibly difficult. I mean, there's all, there's oh, all no kinds doubt. of amazing programs now, pro tools uh, being one of them that you can sit there and do all this stuff together and link it all together and whatever. I can't imagine the stuff that they had to do to make this work back then. And I was kind of hunting for the techniques that were used and I couldn't really find anything. Uh, I'm sure if yeah. I dug a little bit deeper, I might find it. But I would love to know how in the hell they were able to do this stuff. Now, the, the... I, I have to assume that they were just recording using just multiple yeah. tracks. Like they were using a 24-track recorder or something like that. And just stacking. To even find the song. Track on track on track on like track. Like it's pretty yeah. obscure stuff. To even find the sounds that they found but, but, and put them together. But would it be... Would it be for time and place? It yeah, might not maybe. be. I mean, I guess it is uh, now, but certainly no household names other than than Sugar Hill Gang. And but th this is this is the scene in the area. Where yeah, but live. still, uh, Dust Brothers were New Yorkers. Yeah, yeah, were yeah. They New Yorkers. Yeah. So I have to assume that if you were super interested in the music scene at the time, yeah. that you know these these would have been these would have been things that came right out of the collections of the dust brothers. These would have been things that were influences that the beasties were not just well aware of, but stuff they owned already. Um, but, but taking all that stuff, all those albums, all those tracks and making a cohesive yeah, whole out of and, these little bits and, and pieces, not just one, but an entire album full of it. Yeah. It's every track mind blowing, to and me. it's the 
it's the uh, I've I've often heard it referred to as the Sergeant Peppers of yeah. hip hop, uh, and I've also heard it referred to as the album that could never happen today because of oh, absolutely. the changes that they've made to um, to rights and sampling yes. laws. And they there was mention of that in a few of the articles that I read that they actually uh, like legally obtained procured yeah, some of them a lot yeah. of them and they spent a lot of money yeah apparently spent a lot it was around putting that out a together. quarter of a million dollars at the time yeah just, just for, the, for samples. the samples a lot of people think that they just snatched i always thought that they just snatched the samples and and that's what you did back then but they were apparently pretty respectful yeah of most of the which is nice to see it's but i i think they probably would have then been indebted for a lot more than what they ended up paying. oh yeah yeah a little bit yeah uh, I think there would have been definitely they um it, just a couple other little things I wanted to sort of talk about they I mean they toured with Madonna did you know that like yeah. Virgin tour yeah of course uh yeah. they toured with that was the, that was the license yeah deal, right that was the well and they had, you know yeah it was kind of early on too um, yeah and they had the inflatable penises yeah. on stage and they crazy just went absolutely I can't mental. even imagine <laughs> Uh, they toured with Run DMC. They uh, toured with Cypress Hill. That, that goes that goes right back into their whole thing about, you know, was it a spoof or wasn't it a spoof? Were they were they, you know, was it a, a thing that they were playing and it got out of their it spun out of control or not? Because apparently at the time they were saying, you know, when the tour manager came to them and gave them sort of a general idea of what the budget was and what did they want to do with that and what did they want on stage with them. And they just apparently said a bunch of outlandish craziness. And because it was a Madonna tour and money was, <laughs> you know, flowing, whoever it was just said, well, all right. And went off and made sure it got done. And so you had a giant inflatable nice. penis on stage. Crazy. With them. So again, is it is was it them being? Let's just see what the craziest thing, or you know, were they <laughs> were they in that mindset for real at the time? I, I would know. think that if you and I were given the same opportunity when we were that age, we would have done the same thing. I don't know if we would have done exactly the same thing, but we certainly would have done stuff that we would look back on and yes, <laughs> absolutely, I have no doubt. I have yeah, no doubt. It's, uh, I'm sure, an opportunity that they had that they just went, ah, we're young and stupid and we like having fun. You know, let's do all this crazy stuff. The things that you think are funny when you're young yeah. and you think everybody yeah. else is going to think is funny. And it's really not that funny. Um, but, you know, it's all part of their legacy and it's, it's amazing stuff. They, do you remember the movie that came out in, uh, I think it was 85, called Crush Groove? Did you ever yeah. see that? It's kind yeah. of a, a loosely based story on Def Jam recordings. And I mean, it was almost like a vehicle to promote uh, Run DMC at the time. But yeah. the Beastie Boys were in that movie. Um, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. amazing pretty early on in their career. And I think there's like a dinner scene or something where they're sitting around and just acting like complete a-holes. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, really embarrassing. But. Yeah. But as a young kid, you're like, yeah, that's awesome, man. They're so funny and edgy and jerks and whatever. And now as a parent, I look at them like, what a bunch of jerks. How dare they? <laughs> so disrespectful. Why did we, why did we get yeah, so old? Yeah, no kidding. So, anyway, uh, we should probably start to wrap things up. Um, we're getting on here in time. so. But yeah, really... Really great song, really fun stuff. Holds up for me. Uh, the one last thing I wanted to mention was 
um, the Beastie Boys concert I went to see. It was the last concert that they did in, in Toronto at the Air Canada Centre. Uh, I did not enjoy it. In fact, it was terrible. <laughs> I had a similar experience, yeah. I wouldn't say I disliked it or I hated it, uh, but it was it was a different experience than I was expecting, and I probably would have... I it was it was one of the shows where I kicked myself a little for not having seen them yeah. fifteen or twenty years earlier. Yeah. It's they came out and it very much reminded me of Spinal Tap on Simpsons. They yeah. came out and we're going to work oh, your your town into our every song. single thing. That every cool? break it was that's not that cool. Hello Toronto, and of course the fans <laughs> go crazy. Of course it's not in a British accent, but. Um, every time and by the third or fourth time I'm like would you guys shut up <laughs> like I get it we're in TO and I get that you want the big reaction from the crowd but man it got tiring and and I, it really I I took a lot of the luster off of those guys for me Oof. I I was pleased and impressed with um, the songs uh, they they were still on. They were older guys. You could see that they were older guys, even from our distant seats. You could tell. Uh, and that was okay. Uh, they're not singing. It's not like going to see Getty Lee later in his life when you worry about his mm. voice uh, still being on. Uh, you know, they're, they're rapping, and, and they still have the growl, and they still have the fire. And for me, the only, the only negatives were when they started to talk and it was like seeing David Lee Roth late in his life. David Lee Roth was, you know, was a great showman, but when he started to talk and do his, his crowd banter, it was like he was made out of plastic. Yeah. He just, hi, it was great. Oh, to see man. It's good to have you. My vast expertise you know? of just, rock music. Yeah. It just was, it was such a, an odd transition from legit guy who was performing great rock songs to suddenly he, he his speaking banter was this oddly lounge lizard-esque um, uh, crowd interaction and they kind of struck that same not exactly the same but it was very practiced it was very big stadium it was very it is good to it see was, you yeah. in your town of yes X. it was very poorly and done I, I didn't, but that's, is that just stadium polish? I don't know. I know that I had spent so much of my youth in tiny club shows with dudes that were, you know, stoned enough to maybe not even know what town they were in. So my experience of a rock show is different. I don't, I, you know, I, the shows that I saw in clubs vastly outnumbered the shows that I saw in stadiums. So uh, maybe that's just par for the course. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. but I, I was really weirded out by it because when you get these guys whose whole foundational image was the rebelliousness of youth and uh, innovation and experimentation, <laughs> and then you and then you sort of get these stadium performers that um, it, it just it was a, a fairly stark contrast in my head that I was taken aback. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, yeah. do you on not not to go on a on a negative note because you still I mean obviously this this album is still huge for you and this song is still huge for you because you chose yeah it. it's a great it still it still holds up for me this album's amazing uh, yeah. as well as check your head and ill communication they're phenomenal albums I will take to my grave as being some of the best that I ever had ever listened to 
Um, yeah, still, still super yeah. impressed. Do you want to just really quickly before we before we tap out? Do you want to give the email address? Yeah, we have an email address, and we'd we'd love to hear some feedback. If you want to send us an email, uh, good or bad, if you have some ideas, something you want to hear about, it's uh, play me tape podcast at gmail.com all one word that's all yeah, one word play me tape play podcast. me tape podcast so yeah send us a little note and let us know what you think and uh hopefully we hear from you great uh well thanks again for joining us uh if you like what you hear please think about following us uh and please think about telling everybody you know um until next time keep listening to the music that means something and try to listen with an open mind and communication. <laughs>